Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Get a balanced analysis on both domestic and international topics within the framework of cross-cultural comparisons. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. Under the theme ASEAN Matters, epicentrum of growth, leaders of ASEAN and other East Asian countries are gathering in Jakarta, Indonesia for a three-day summit with Chinese Premier Li Qiang present. What makes ASEAN one of the strongest power engines of global economic growth? What's the long-term vision of economic development in the region? And how will current geopolitical tensions affect the regional grouping? To discuss these issues and more, I'm glad to be joined by Victor Gao Zhikai, board member of the China-Myanmar Friendship Association, Joint Palm Independent Political Analyst, Darrell Gape, CEO of GapeTwitters.com, and Christine Susanna Jin, Director of Gentala Institute Indonesia. That's our topic. I'm Xu Qinduo. Welcome to Dialogue again. So, Christian, I will start with you. For those who are not that familiar with this regional grouping, ASEAN, tell us what is ASEAN and why there is such a tremendous global attention to the ASEAN Summit. ASEAN, or the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, is a regional organization that has been built upon creating stability since the 1960s, 1967, for example to support uh, the regional development of Southeast Asia. And in the past decade, I think Southeast uh, ASEAN has contributed a lot to maintaining regional stability and development. At the moment, the involvement of other countries as partners of ASEAN has definitely contributed to even greater stability to the region. And that's pretty much the basic um, importance of ASEAN at the moment. And probably that's also why uh, the global attention to ASEAN uh, series of summit actually among ASEAN nations and of course ASEAN uh, East Asian summit and also uh, one-on-one uh, basic summit meeting with uh, other big countries like China, US, Japan, etc. Join Palm, I mean you are from Malaysia. Uh, tell us, you know, uh, at today's world we are seeing these rapid changes, you know, with the rise of uh, uh, BRICS plus countries and uh, of course you see a divided and sort of weakened G20 and then you see probably a more confrontational and a militarized even uh, G7, group of seven countries, more developed uh, nations there. And how important or how significant is, uh, is ASEAN, uh, such a regional grouping into this multipolar world? These are truly momentous times for ASEAN. It was formed during the first Cold War in the midst of the Vietnam War, while the U.S. was carpet bombing Hanoi and raining cluster munitions on Laos and Cambodia. And uh, today we are in a, the middle of uh, or the beginning of a what looks like a new Cold War. Only this time, as Marx said, you know, the first time is tragedy, the second time is farce. The first time was indeed a tragedy for Southeast Asia. Our region was ripped apart by war. So ASEAN was formed to maintain some degree of independence for the region. So that I wanted to say that these are the stakes. But ASEAN is now truly becoming coming to the center again. ASEAN centrality is a theme you'll hear again and again. 
But in a way, that centrality is coming to ASEAN uh, because um, a kind of uh, the, the Bandung principles, the principles of non-alignment on which ASEAN was formed, these are being taken up globally, uh, particularly in organizations and, and new multilateral uh, arrangements such as BRICS and now called BRICS Plus. So we see a kind of global majority awakened and a almost a second wave of the decolonization of global order. So within this, ASEAN is more relevant than ever it's relevant in continuing to just to remain strategically autonomous in a world that is again being separated and, and facing a kind of decoupling or is a kind of new cold war now in that context organizations uh, for global governance such as the g7 and g20 are beginning to show their age uh, they're becoming in, indeed actually less and less relevant uh, so we are heading towards a kind of BRICS world and it, in that transition, I think ASEAN can play a leading role. And as I said, uh, ASEAN centrality is not just determined by what it does, but what it is over the years. Um, and that centrality is actually returning to the region. ASEAN centrality, uh, Victor, uh, of course, uh, that's uh, autonomy, independence, a precious uh, I would say, uh, feature of this regional grouping. But the recent years you have seen, you know, uh, if you look at the moves or initiatives uh, made by the United States, for example, a big player, basically to reshape or remake this entire region. Uh, we see AUKUS, for example, US, Australia, and the UK. It's like a military, you know, sometimes people call them military alliance, and you see uh, US, uh, South Korea, Japan is another, like a mini NATO, and you have this quad security framework, US, India, uh, Australia, and Japan. So uh, these all development, uh, you know, all uh, happened by bypassing ASEAN. And then people would ask, uh, you know, how much a challenge is that to the ASEAN centrality? Thank you very much for having me. First of all, let's congratulate the successful uh, launch of this uh, ASEAN summit uh, in Indonesia, as well as the 10 plus 1, that is China, and 10 plus 3, that is China, Republic of Korea, and Japan, which will really reinforce what you, whatever message coming out of the ASEAN summit. Now, we all remember very clearly that uh, it was the United States very much involved in the, uh, in the uh, Vietnam War, and when they were eventually driven out of uh, Vietnam, uh, peace and stability uh, have been restored to this part of the world. And ever since then, there has been no large-scale war in this part of the world. This is very important. So I would say ASEAN really stands for peace, stability, cooperation, mutual understanding, and prosperity for all. Now, if the United States really can get its acts together and push for the new version of the Cold War or blocks against blocks, for example, I'm sure it will really lead to the restoration of war, conflict, uh, rivalry, uh, another uh, Cold War, uh, which will be a disaster for many countries in this part of the world, especially the 10 ASEAN nations. Therefore, I think it is real time for ASEANs to stand up very firmly to defend the peace and stability and cooperation, to emphasize that this part of the world, the ASEAN nations collectively, do not want to have another war. They should not be forced to pick between China or the United States, I think they should just pick which country is doing the right thing or the wrong thing. 
and uh, they should uh, be given full right and uh, privilege to follow their own decision, follow their own conscience, follow their own independence, for example, rather than being forced to become a pawn between major powers. Now, in this sense, China-ASEAN cooperation will be absolutely important because from the China, China's perspective, ASEAN has been the largest trading partner. And also, China has tremendous amount of historical relations and uh, geographical privity with all the ASEAN member states, and we want to treat with each other as equals and promote common prosperity and development together. This sets China very much apart from what the United States is doing, and I think ASEAN countries really have enough depth and width of their own decision-making to make the right choice between the wrong things versus the right things, and I think all of us want to have peace and stability and cooperation in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, not picking the side, but uh, probably choosing between the right and wrong. Uh, Darrow, you know, as ASEAN, as we mentioned, you know, a previous speaker talked about, uh, you know, stability uh, and, and economic growth. Seems that's a priority that has been the priority for ASEAN uh, members. Uh, uh, but of course, you know, if you look at, uh, we mentioned, uh, you know, it's almost like a militarization of this region, uh, your efforts uh, to militarize this region. Uh, but that uh, probably, in a way, more or less, uh, will that affect the goal of ASEAN to continue to grow? I don't think it will affect the goal of ASEAN to continue to grow. I think one of the key defining features of ASEAN is that it is not politically and ideologically driven. And that's the key challenge that ASEAN has to face at this stage. We have to avoid ideological domination on the decision-making around trade and around growth within the region. As Singapore Prime Minister Lee said, we have to bring China and the United States together so that there is a more cooperative discussion that maintains the existing order within the region. ASEAN members are not the same as they were 50 years ago at the time of the Vietnam or the American War. They are much more sophisticated, they are much more developed, but the challenge is going to be to keep that ideological neutrality, that tolerance for different paths towards achieving prosperity. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge for ASEAN in this meeting. Yeah, that's a challenge too. Uh, Christian, so Indonesian President Vidodo has uh, talked about, you know, refusing to choose between uh, big powers, uh, based on neutrality and the focus on development. Uh, tell us, you know, if you look at the theme of this year, ASEAN matters, uh, epicentrum of growth. Tell us more about this theme or the choice of such a theme. Part of the importance of ASEAN especially during the time of the pandemic, is because ASEAN has been committed to not being dragged into any ideological war or any kind of like uh, taking sides to their activities and remain inclusive and also open to all that wants to cooperate with ASEAN. And part of the uh, most, the big, amongst the biggest factor that contributed to ASEAN becoming consistently in the past few years as the global engine of growth is that ASEAN remain committed to continue with their economic framework, especially in this particular sense, ASEAN plus three economic framework. So despite all these political or ideological conflicts, etc., that has been, you know, being blown up in a lot of mainstream media, uh, the reality of it is that 
economic stakeholders in the region has been committed to maintain uh, economic growth and also development. And this is very important because at the end of the day, um, especially facing the current uh, challenges that we're facing, uh, for example, recessions in the developed countries and also the increase of, of interest rates and also the push for inflation in certain areas, there is a need for us to remain inclusive in pushing for our corporations. And I guess part of the, there's a lot of uh, point of view in, in the region that sees this constant preoccupations over geopolitics that often overshadows the, the need for economic operations. I believe even the United States wants to have economic operations in the region, even with China. But I guess sometimes um, the politics overshadow the economic interests. But at the same time, this is something that, that's why the, uh, the summit this year is very important because ASEAN as an epicentrum of growth is not just about ASEAN itself, but also for all the partners that have been involved in ASEAN. So we really need to put the emphasis on being inclusive and, and committed to the stability and prosperity in the region. Mm -hmm. Stability, prosperity. John, you know, unfortunately, it's a, it's a bit uh, being uh, overshadowed, you know, by the talk of geopolitics, or the, particularly in the media, the media hype about ASEAN summit. If you look at the Western media, it's, it's all about, uh, you know, the risk of uh, paralysis, of not being able to solve this Myanmar issue, or the South China Sea disputes. There's a little talk about, uh, you know, cooperation, growth, inclusiveness, you know, or commitment, uh, you know, countries. Uh, economic stakeholders in this region have. As um, uh, Ms. Chin said, our ability to focus on development priorities, on ASEAN's priorities, is the key to, to our relevance. ASEAN's centrality comes from, uh, doesn't come from its um, sort of complying with or getting its, having its agenda set by Western media or think tanks, much as they have tried to dramatize uh, ASEAN. If you, if you uh, look at the media, it says, you know, it's uh, in uh, unprecedented uh, strife and so on. That's not how it is in, in, in Jakarta. That's, that's not the mood in ASEAN. Uh, so ASEAN centrality is determined by its intractability to the bloc politics and the incitement and the militarization of the West. I mean, these are very, very challenging times, but ASEAN has chosen to meet them in its, in its typical manner by focusing on development. And, and in this, the uh, organizers and, and the host this year, uh, Indonesia is to be congratulated. So the point is that the, the bloc has to remain, has to, as, as uh, President Jokowi said, the captain of its own ship. And uh, it's quite a challenge to do that. As you said, regional structures are being built over our heads structures such as uh, the Indo-Pacific, AUKUS, the Quad, and now the Trilateral Pact, none of these give ASEAN any consideration. And ASEAN centrality is threatened by these things. But, um, and the way to re reassert that centrality or to recover it is not by attempting to um, address issues that are an agenda set for, for us from, from the outside. So ASEAN has to grow its ability to determine its own uh, and to, to, sail, to sail its own course. And this requires a certain degree of uh, intellectual uh, and cultural autonomy, uh, which the, the region is now uh, recovering. Victor, what do you make of uh, you know, John mentioning this uh, 
continuing to expand the economic output, you know, increase the growth. In a sense, basically, like it defines the centrality of ASEAN, right? Autonomy and uh, the, uh, the focus on development. Uh, but of course, you know, we are talking about this post-pandemic period. There are challenges, and then you see the inflationary pressures in the Western countries and the increase of interest that's created problems for developing countries, etc. Uh, the demand is, is a bit weak for export. So, like, what do we need to do right now as we set our sights on, uh, you know, future growth for this region? Well, first of all, I think in confusing time like this, when you talked about AUKUS and uh, Indo-Pacific and uh, potential Cold War, etc., etc., then we really need to step back and really look at what is the real megatrend involving ASEAN and involving this part of the world. I would say that the real megatrend is promoting peace and stability and cooperation. The real uh, megatrend for ASEAN is not war is not to embrace Cold War, is not to go nuts in terms of ideological extremism, for example. And the real megatrend will be dictated and decided by the wisdom, vision, farsight and courage of the people and the government of all the ASEAN countries. I firmly believe ASEAN countries don't want to have a war, don't want to pick between China or the United States, they want to promote peace and development. This is the megatrend. If we embrace the megatrend, then whatever other countries are doing, for example, in stirring up trouble, in agitating for war, in warmongering, for example, or preparing for a cold war or even a hot war, we will not budge because we need to stand firm about this megatrend. And this megatrend will not be preserved unless development is vehemently, wholeheartedly promoted. That means all the ASEAN countries need development. ASEAN plus one need uh, development. And I truly believe ASEAN plus three, that is including China, Japan, and the Republic of Korea, fundamentally, by the end of the day, we all need to develop and to engage with each other in rivalry, confrontation, or even war will be an act of suicide. And I hope countries like the United States will really pause and think about the megatrend rather than indulging in fantasy that they can uh, split the ASEAN countries or uh, sow discord between China and ASEAN or otherwise and create a new Cold War in our part of the world. Mm -hmm. I don't think people in our part of the world want to be split up by Cold War. We want to have peace rather than Cold War or Hot War. Mm -hmm. Well, Dario, if you look at uh, ICM, you know itself is a is a combination of uh, you know diversity. You have a Buddhism, you have Islam, you have a different political system, different culture, different traditions in countries, in member countries, but they work together in a harmonious way and with a focus on their priority of development, and uh, that uh, of course uh, you know make ASEAN. Uh, stand out as a powerhouse for global economy, for the growth. Uh, so that probably is something, I mean, we can find common ground for a lot of countries um, even outside this region uh, to work with ASEAN here. And that's exactly right. That is the strength of ASEAN. Its ability to tolerate different development paths. Now, China understands that. The Global Development Initiative recognizes that there are many different paths to prosperity. There's not just a single ideological path that is correct and all others are false. So that's been the key strength of ASEAN in the previous years. 
what's important now is that the United States in particular, followed by its allies, are trying to drive wedges within the ASEAN community. So it becomes even more important for ASEAN to present a united front on a range of issues. And that's what's really important for coming out of the Jakarta meeting, that ASEAN needs to re-establish itself firmly, as firmly neutral, as firmly determined not to be involved in either of the, the blocks that are currently developing. And key to that, one of the practical measures, is removing trade barriers as quickly as possible to enable cross-border trading efficiency, because that underpins economic growth. And it's related organisations like the RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Agreements, that form the platform for that type of work. So, so ASEAN is already economically well-developed. We need to be able to make sure that that is not divided by those who have a geopolitical agenda. Well, Christian, a speaker for RCEP, uh, the Regional Comprehensive uh, Economic Partnership, uh, we see uh, it uh, just you know came into effect uh, early last year, uh, almost a two year. So you know people say that has played an important role in the development of a trade. For example, ASEAN has become, uh, for years, the largest uh, partner, trade partner of China. And of course, China being the largest export market for ASEAN countries. Uh, so what can we expect further from RCEP? And of course, there's also the free trade between China and ASEAN. And they are talking about upgrading this free trade agreement. So what's to expect? RCEP definitely is still in the early stages of its development, so the potential is still very big. Obviously, you have mentioned, and some of the other speakers have mentioned as well, in terms of the diversity of the region and how that could create challenges, but at the same time, it is actually part of the opportunities that we can have in terms of uh, mutually strengthening the regional uh, uh, development. And RCEP is definitely one of the platform that has paved the way for this to, to proceed rather more smoothly, especially in the face of the current crisis, the current global crisis. But definitely the, uh, the, the most recent um, 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 uh, plan between China and ASEAN to increase the, the trade cooperation to a new level to the trade uh, 3.0 is definitely a very, it's a very good initiative that we should welcome and further push because definitely if there's anything that we can hope for with this new cooperation is the infusion of two elements which is smart technology and green uh, development and these two elements are very much important because the potential for the region uh, South, including Southeast Asia as well as the uh, partners uh, especially in the framework under the framework of ASEAN plus three is definitely uh, there are a lot of uh, demands for uh, renewable energy and clean energy in the region and I think China has taken a lot of uh, 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 inspirational steps in trying to improve China's contribution in the regional economic development. As you can see, even the Belt and Road has seen a lot of upgrades and you know, the infusion of the uh, concept of digital Silk Road, Green Silk Road, is definitely something that shows that China has been responsive to the challenges that uh, the Belt and Road Initiative has faced in the region and tried to find ways, innovative ways together with countries in the region to push for this kind of development. So RCEP in this sense, we've only been sort of like, you know, uh, uh, 20 months of its uh, uh, 
development, and we are still trying very hard to recover from the post-pandemic situations with the uh, weakening of global demand, etc. So we are going to face greater challenge, but the potential is still very big, and the potential is still very, uh, uh, very much there. So we definitely hope that uh, further cooperation between uh, different countries in the region, outside, even outside ASEAN, is definitely going to help. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Christine, you mentioned uh, Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, we know that the Chinese Premier Li Qian is uh, expected to attend the opening ceremony of the railway uh, connecting the two Indonesian cities of Jakarta and Bandung, the test run of the high-speed rail. That's part of the, uh, let's say, in the, you know, a BRI project. Uh, so tell us more about uh, you know, this railway. Um, so uh, in what way it will, it will probably accelerate the development or the construction of this uh, uh, connectivity inside Indonesia and also probably cooperation between China and Indonesia? Despite the whole brouhaha over the project, the reality of it is that having our first high-speed railway in the region in Southeast Asia is definitely one of the biggest pride for Indonesia. But definitely the kind of uh, multiplier effect that the railway can bring uh, at the moment between Jakarta and Bandung is definitely something that we should be proud of. And of course, this is not going to stop at Bandung only. We, we do have plans to expand the, the railways and at the same time also uh, consider some of the innovative technological development that can happen even that, you know, in the future, who knows that the railway, uh, railways can even connect islands between the thousands of islands that we have in Indonesia. Yeah. But definitely, aside to the connectivity in terms of creating multiplier effect for economic development, there's also one of the aspects of it is the technological transfer and also human resources empowerment. These are the two elements, two of the most important elements behind Indonesia's government decision to accept China's proposal because of the commitment to have a uh, certain degree of technological transfer and also human resources uh, training. So this can even develop further in the future and who knows that the high-speed railway will eventually be part of the ASEAN connectivity. And as you know, with the Chongqing connectivity, the plan to connect China to ASEAN is already underway and this is also something that we should be looking forward to. Mm -hmm. uh, we're joined, uh, obviously, uh, Christine mentioned about earlier, the renewable energy of, for example, in that respect, I would say, you know, including this EVs, uh, you know, from China. China is very strong in the production output of uh, renewable energies as well as uh, related industries like uh, this uh, EV uh, industry there. Uh, so there's a lot, can we say there's a lot to expect, uh, basically, in terms of cooperation between China and ASEAN here? Indeed, I think we're now in a world in which we're searching for uh, trade uh, drivers of growth. And um, the energy transition is definitely one of them. And the, the EV, the infrastructure and supply chains for EV across uh, Southeast Asia is something that there's an enormous opportunity to, to, uh, to develop and uh, policy coordination uh, along these lines uh, would, 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 be, would, would have a great effect. You know, I used to work on uh, ASEAN integration. It's a uh, little uh, known that, uh, or people forget that China had an FTA with ASEAN almost before ASEAN had an FTA within itself. In 2010, the China-ASEAN Free Trade Agreement uh, came into effect. So in a way, China has been helping uh, drive 
regional integration. This regional well, integration is extremely important. Uh, we come to the end of today's show. Many thanks to our guests. I'm Xu Qindo. Thanks for being with us. See you next time.